If you enjoy this show, you will enjoy the new novel Alice Isn't Dead, a standalone, complete reimagining of this story. It's out now. Find it wherever you encounter books or at aliceisntdead.com. I have to pee and there are no towns on the map. Not for a long time. But there are also no cars. The absolute silence of miles and miles. Here there are no lights. No watchers to watch me watching. It is dusk and the dark clouds are lingering. And the road is visible to the horizon in either direction. I pull my car onto the muddy shoulder and hop out. Pull a little off the road, cut your lights, and you're invisible. I could take her now, of course. There would be no one to see it happen. It is truly strange, standing by this highway and looking for miles into the distance and seeing no one. I am alone as can be here. I squat and enjoy the silence. The absolute silence of distance. How humiliating to die peeing in the dirt. But I'm patient, and now is not the time. I don't want to cut anything short. I lay back on the hood of my car, enjoying its warmth, and look up at the sky, gray and blank as sleet. A sky about to break into violence. I close my eyes, and I wait. Joseph Fink, performed by Jessica Nicole with Roberta Calindres, produced by Disparition. Part 2, Chapter 6, Badwater. I'm on a plateau, and then I come around a turn, and I am looking steeply down into a valley. There has been no change in my elevation, but the change in perspective is astonishing. I'm gonna miss this when it's done. But nothing lasts forever. To take a few uncertain years from someone's life. Is that so much of a crime? I had thought I was on solid ground and was actually far, far in the air. There's no metaphor to be taken there, no reason to relate this to my life. It's just a drive, just a plateau, just a valley, just a moment of dizziness so intense it was almost pleasure. What are those years worth? Would she have even gotten them? Isn't it better to die in such a purposeful, clear way than to stagger on until an organ you don't need starts making its cells wrong? A light in the sky, zigzagging. Not the moon, not the stars, not an airplane, not anything. A point, moving from one side of the sky to the other, impossibly sharp turns. 
I take my eyes off the road to watch, but I do not take my foot off the gas. The road is perfectly straight. I focus on the light and watch it move until my tire hits the shoulder and I am jolted back to my driving. And when I look again, it is gone. Past the larger towns are the mining towns. A few houses and a school attached to a quarry and a processing plant. It's dusk and the plants are still churning. Busy workers for now until their jobs go too. Everyone's jobs are expendable, except mine. This kind of violent hunger is always in demand. I could sleep a thousand years and wake up to a world that needed me. I can see the road descending and then climbing again for miles in front of me. A man has stopped his car to take a picture, and I can see why. There's a strange ridge along the slope facing me. One that doesn't look natural. This expanse is majestic. Truly breathtaking. As the miles pass, I realize I'm looking at the entire length of a freight train. One that would take ten minutes to clear an intersection. I stop, too. I take him into the bushes and leave him there. I get in his car and pull it back on the road. And I'm at a distance where I can see the whole train passing along the slope of a mountain. Truly breathtaking. The The rain rain comes. comes. Finally. Finally. Signs warn to avoid this road because of possible flash floods, but I take it anyway. I want to see the water and feel it under my car. I just go on the hope that flash floods can't be as bad as they're made out. I want to stand on my hood while the waters rise above me. I want to be hit by lightning. I want to see whatever you see when the electricity enters your brain. Lakes Lakes form form suddenly suddenly in the the desert. desert. Soon Soon all all of the land land on either side side of the road is water. water. Waves Waves lapping at an asphalt asphalt shore. shore. Get me safely through this. Get me safely through this. Drown me. Wash me away. The rain is worse. I'm on a narrow and windy pass, never meant for a truck this size. I've made a mistake. But the only way out is through. Stretches out here where no one else is in sight. No witnesses, no one to help. And then, a few miles before the flatlands, I turn a corner and have a moment of, what is that in the road? And then there is a bang, and the bottom of my cab is dragging. A huge rock. I pull the truck to a stop, hope my lights will keep anyone from crashing into it, but there's There's nowhere nowhere to move move on a road road this narrow. Take my hand. Take my hand and walk with me to where the highway is no longer visible. I get on my stomach in the mud and I'm under the cab, downhill of it, and I'm thinking, Okay, Okay. so So this this is is how how I die. die.
The rock is jammed into the bottom of the cab. I try to pull on it, but it's not moving. A car comes by, has to swerve out of the way. I have mud all down my body. And I look, and there are a pair of legs standing by the driver's side door. Hello? I shout, and I crawl my way out, banging my head on the front bumper. Did you stop to help? I say, as though anyone had ever done that for me. But there's no one there now. Just me and my truck and a rock stuck in my truck. Almost, Keisha. That was almost it. I want to get off this pass. So I start driving and the rock is scraping on the road and it sounds like the cab itself is coming apart. And then there's one last terrible ripping sound and the rock falls away. Everything still seems to drive all right. I stop at Stovepipe Wells, a motel dressed up as a western village. There's a terrible smell, like burning rubber. And I think, oh, my engine is fucked. But as I walk away from the truck, the smell persists. The wind is saturated with it. I stay the night in their RV area, and the next morning realize that I was smelling the mesquite trees. My truck runs fine. A light in the sky, zigzagging. I know most things. There are a few secrets kept from me. But that little light moving through the dusk, I don't know. It is a stranger, and so I greet it as a stranger with my hand raised and a smile on my face. See, I am polite to strangers, at least until the moment where I understand what it is I need from them, how to best leverage their existence. But maybe this light is not usable by me. It doesn't seem to fly so much as to float past our world. If it is beyond my use, then it is not worth bothering with. I nod to it and drive on. Still pouring rain, the wind whipping through the droplets, turning them into a fine mist. It's not cold, but it's on the edge of cold. At least I'm not the Korean couple huddled by the ranger station, him in a tuxedo, her in a flowing wedding dress with train, and a professional photography crew following them around. She folds her arms into the damp wrinkles of her dress, shivering as they wait for the desert vista they came for. Later, I will see them posing atop a sand dune that the rain has made as solid as concrete, leaning damply into each other and feeling the grit in their formal wear shoes. That night, the stars are covered by the clouds, and the light returns. In the distance, an object in the road. I taste bitter on the tip of my tongue, and I try to hold it there. I try to make the bitter taste linger. It's me, and my headlights, and this straight and empty road, and this light in the sky, turning sharp corners on itself. The object is a coyote. She is waiting for me, standing in the middle of the road, calm. I don't know this impulse. 
I don't understand this impulse, but I switch off my lights. And now I'm in the dark, and I can't even feel the speed. It's so calm, the grumble of the engine like the hum of my own body, and this light moving around in front of me. I hold her brown eyes with mine, and we understand each other. Low creatures, taking blood where we can, as natural as the salt flats, as natural as a rock face. I feel like I could touch it. And this is so stupid, but I press harder on the gas. I'm going faster and I can't see the road at all. And the light is like an idea of peace that I'll never have. It's a world where none of this happened to me. And then I panic. We look at each other for several minutes. I prefer her company to the cowards that drive around this country as if it belongs to them. That surge of panic is so familiar because what am I doing? Am I trying to get myself killed? I wink and tell her I need to get back to my prey, as I'm sure she needs to get back to hers. As I drive away, she watches me, still and moving, in my mirror. I switch the lights back on and it's the road, straight as it ever was, and I'm still driving on it, and the light in the sky is gone. Most of the buildings in Death Valley Junction are still ruins. A former dormitory for employees at the Borax Mines. Then in 1967, a ballet dancer named Marta Beckett broke down here and stumbled on a small abandoned theater that the employees once used as a community room. She moved from New York City to this town, where she and her husband were most of the population. And she began to dance in a theater in the desert three times a week. I curl up inside one of the ruins. I enjoy how cold it gets at night, and in the morning I watch a cloud cast a perfect shadow over a mountain. Many performances, no one would show up. And so, over the years, she painted an audience on the inside of the theater, so that there would always be someone watching. She died this year, but there is still a ballet dancer that does a weekly show. I stay at the attached hotel, with musty carpet and Marta's paintings on the wall. There's a cafe that is only open a couple of days a week, but is surprisingly good, in a hipster Brooklyn kind of way. I don't know how they make money with a restaurant like that, two days a week in the middle of nowhere. But as I eat at their counter, I feel grateful for people who come to places like this and do things like this dance and make artisanal avocado toast. It's time for me to switch cars again. So when a tourist couple pulls into the unlit lot, ready to enjoy the strangeness of ballet in the desert, I help myself to them and then help myself to their vehicle. I feel grateful for people who come to places like this. On the 247 north of Lucerne, the fields are all dust, and the wind is kicking up. Like something from a story, a wall of dust, the height of a small skyscraper, 
bellowing from the fields. It'll be on the road in moments. And then we'll be invisible. And then it will happen. It's daylight, and then I enter the cloud, and the world is sepia. I can see maybe a few feet in front of me. I want to slow down, but I'm worried that anyone behind me won't know to do the same. It's nice in here. A bubble of blindness in a valley blinding with light. I think I see headlights. A car trying to pass me? Now, Keisha. It happens now. It's okay. I'm right here with you. My windshield grits up. Everything is so quiet. Maybe 10 seconds. Breathe easy, Keisha. Enjoy the breaths as they come. There, it's the light. The light from the sky. That light. It's zigzagging. What is what that? What is that? The light lowers. It's just in front of me, through the glass. I can see nothing, but I keep driving until the entire cab is enveloped in light. I don't feel heat. I don't feel anything. I don't care that I don't know where I'm going. I speed into the light. And then? And then, I am out of the dust cloud, and I'm back near some farm fields. Behind me, the dust moves onto the other side of the road. There are no cars behind or in front of me. There is no strange light. You haven't escaped, Keisha. Maybe you get a few days more. Maybe a few weeks. But you haven't escaped. Hey, Alice Heads, which is a name I just came up with for listeners of Alice Isn't Dead and that I don't think I'll ever use again. Anyway, I'm releasing two books this year, which is a weird thing to say, but I've been working on both of these for years and I'm so excited for you to read them. Okay, first on May 11th, 2021, the first 10 years, two sides of the same love story. So there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale between me, Joseph Fink, and Meg Bashmaner, voice of the Night Vale credits and MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first 10 years of our relationship, year by year, without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. 
Then, on July 20th, The Halloween Moon, my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you're a fan of Alice Isn't Dead, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. And now, a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Who's there? Interrupting cow. Again? Interrupting cow who- Yeah, that's me. Okay, but what I'm saying is- I'm the interrupting cow. What do you want from me? Sure, but- Are you going to let me in or not? It's cold out here. Everyone wants to just have a conversation through a closed door. Like, that's a thing people do. Like, that's okay. It's not okay, you know? It's rude. I have been searching for shelter. I'm sorry I'm interrupting, but did you ever consider you have nothing worthwhile to say? Hello? I'm sorry. Interrupting cow who? A hungry and lost interrupting cow who just wants to stay still for a little while. I understand. Come in. Thank you. Thank you. It's no problem. Moo. This has been a production of Night Vale Presents. Find out more about us and our shows at nightvalepresents.com. pod broadcast listeners. My name is Meg, and I am one of the esteemed tri-hosts of the beloved iBroad Good Morning Night Vale. 
I, along with my hilarious friends, fellow Night Vale actors, passionate eaters, and soft-hitting journalists, Symphony Sanders and Hal Lovelin, are now over 100 episodes into our deep dive recap show of Welcome to Night Vale. We've tackled topics like soft meat crown head cannons, Cecil's fashion, and whether Steve Scones were really all that terrible, plus behind-the-scenes stories from the Night Vale creative family. And we've heard from listeners like you about queer representation, Night Vale named pets, major theories, minor questions, and of course, best and worst practices for um, alternative spa therapy services. If you know, you know. Check out Good Morning Night Vale every other Thursday, wherever you get your eye broads, eye casts, pod broads, and podcasts. I think I like pod broads the best. I'm a real pod broad myself. From Pete.